that I am finished with our doctrinal studies and then uh, there is something else that I start feeling and just feel this prompt to, uh, to approach it from yet another perspective. I'm going to tell you if there's anything that, um, anything that is a consuming passion with me and, and um, a driving goal outside of you being saved, secondary to you being saved, uh, that's number one in my priorities, but this is a part of what's going to help you be saved. I want this church to be absolutely grounded in apostolic doctrine. Amen. Amen. It is so very important, and especially in the day and the hour in which we live. I'm telling you, there is, there is, I am seeing with my own eyes, a great falling away. People who have embraced the truth for years, suddenly deciding it's not that important anymore. And I don't ever want that to be the epitaph of this assembly. I want this church to be rooted and grounded in the truth. Praise God. Plus, I want you to be able to do what the Apostle Peter commanded us to do, and that is to be ready at all times to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason of the hope that lieth within us. We've got to be ready to do it, church. I, I'm telling you, God, God's blessed me to be able to travel not only across this country but around the world and, and I am saddened by the fact that I see far too many people who cannot explain why we believe what we believe. They cannot explain it. They cannot explain it. I don't want that to be the case here. Well, praise God. I want you to know why we believe what we believe. And I want you to know it well enough that you can tell others. Well, praise God. And so we're, we're just, you know, until the Lord releases me from this, my, as I said, my plan I had intended to be done by now, but um, there's, there's yet another perspective I want to take on it. And uh, who knows, we may turn this into a little Bible study that you can use as well. Um, uh, we, I don't know, I don't know, but we, we'll see, we'll see. But I, I want to take you through this lesson this morning, uh, yet another, as I said, perspective on this message that we love and hold so dear. And I'm going to tell you, we, we really do, we, we are faced with so many false doctrines today. So many false doctrines and, and the only way we can combat the false is to have a real grasp of the true. Well, praise God. And so I want to make sure that we do. Let's turn this morning to the book of Acts chapter 16 and we'll read 
verses 30 through 34 as a text. We'll come back and talk about this verse in just a moment. And again, uh, I, I say to you some of these things we've covered in, in previous lessons, but each time that I approach it, I'm just I'm trying to give you tools, trying to help you, and, um, and to give you something that perhaps uh, would be a new approach for you to share this message with someone else. Somewhere in, in all of these studies, there's got to be something you're going to feel comfortable teaching to others. There, there, there's got to be. Um, we're, we're looking at it from so many different angles, and surely one of these is something you feel like you could take people through and help them to understand. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. Um, Acts 16, verses 30 through 34. Uh, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Amen. Praise God. And so the question is asked in verse 30, what must I do to be saved? And it's a valid question. And it's an important question. And it's really a question that everybody ought to ask at some point in their life. Because you're not born saved. It, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Uh, everybody, it seems these days, is saved. And uh, I, I've, I've been to funerals of, of just, I don't know any other way to put it, but downright scoundrels. And, and the preacher get up and preach them into heaven. And uh, I've seen people on the world arena, the world, and I'm not, I'm not specifically speaking of recent events. I'm just saying in my close to 60 years of existence, many, many times I've seen folks in the world arena who were well-known and yet their lives were filled with all kinds of ungodliness and watched the world talk about how happy they must be in heaven now. Not everybody's going to heaven, all right? Not everybody's going to heaven. In fact, Jesus said there's going to be few that find that way. There's going to be few. And so not everybody, not everybody is going to heaven. Um, so it, it is important to us. Yea, it is necessary for us at some point to ask, what must I do to be saved? I'm not going to be saved by default. I'm not going to be saved by accident. 
I'm not just going to wake up one day and lo and behold, I'm saved. If I'm going to be saved, I'm going to have to do something about it to get saved. And so we ought to ask, what do we have to do? What is the answer to this? What must I do to be saved? Now, my title this morning, you're not going to get that out of these verses of Scripture, but the title's not explaining these verses. The title's explaining what I'm about to teach you, all right? And I'm going to, I'm going to give you this morning 15 essentials for salvation. 15 essentials for salvation. Uh, I know that blows some minds, and I know some folks listening uh, on the internet, are, it's going to, some of them will just stop the recording right there. Um, but bear with me, all right? Bear with me. 15 essentials of salvation. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's talk to the Lord Everybody right now, let's ask the Lord to send the spirit of revelation. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord together. I worship and exalt you, Master. You are so very good to us. And I thank you for your presence that is in this place today. And I thank you for each one that has come, Lord, to your house. Pray that you would anoint me and use me and allow me, oh God, today, God, to break the bread of life, Lord, to feed the flock of God, Lord, to grant to them direction, oh Lord, through your word. But God, I pray, would you send a spirit of revelation for only you can pull the blinds off of minds and help people to understand the scripture. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, could we praise him one more time, everybody, before we're seated today. Let's praise the Lord together. Let's praise the Lord together, everybody. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you, you may be seated. Now, again, especially these first couple of scriptures that I want to use are scriptures we've used a lot over the last few weeks, but they are so important. And again, you have to understand as a church that I'm not just preaching to you, but, but I am preaching to those that, that are going to be listening online and uh, as many of you know, my wife has been working diligently in promoting our church website and promoting the messages, and we are getting responses. We are hearing from people that are listening, and so it's important sometimes that we go back and cover certain things that may have been covered in the past for the sake of those listening now that haven't heard those things, all right? Is everybody with me this morning? And, and, and one of the things that I want to say before I start Dealing with this question, what must I do to be saved? I want to first establish something in your minds that it's an extremely dangerous thing for a person to take one verse of scripture, take it out of context, don't look at the verses before or after, just strictly look at that one verse and start trying to build a doctrine. 
Amen. That, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And yet there are many people that are doing it. For example, using this verse, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but this verse where the apostle Paul tells the jailer at Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And people take that one verse and build their entire doctrine of salvation on that verse of scripture. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot more to it. We've got to understand that when we study the word of God, we've got to follow the principle established in Isaiah 28 and 10. Now, listen, you'll never understand the Bible if you don't follow this. All right, you'll never understand it if you don't follow this. Read Isaiah 28, verse 10. For precept must be precept upon must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. All right. Line upon line, line must be upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. Here a little. There a little. Listen, I don't know of another verse anywhere in the Bible that more accurately and adequately describes the process of Bible interpretation than this one. Because anything that you really want to, to understand from the scripture, you've got to understand that the Bible, you've got to take precept and build it upon precept. You've got to take line and lay it upon line. You've got to get a little here and a little there and put it all together. You can't just pull one little verse or one little statement out of a verse and thereby build a doctrine. It's not that that verse is wrong, and I've said this many, many times. It's not that that verse is wrong, but I'm telling you, we've got to, we've got to handle the scriptures carefully. We've got to study to show ourselves approved unto God, right? Right? Study. Study. If it was as simple as one little verse in the middle of a, or one little phrase in the middle of a verse, and that's all you need, there's no need for study. But the apostle specifically gave a mandate that we study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I said this a few weeks ago, and I say again that because, because he used that uh, descriptive term, rightly dividing, the adverb that, that is, that is, uh, given in conjunction with that verb of dividing, the process of dividing is described. Paul says, do it rightly. Now, if, if he said that, it means to me that it's possible to do it wrongly. He wouldn't command us to do it rightly if there wasn't a chance that we could do it wrongly. You understand? So he says, rightly divide it, rightly divide it. And if we're going to rightly divide it, we got to learn this principle that throughout the scripture, it's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Scripture will never contradict scripture. Never contradict scripture. John 3 and 5 does not contradict John 3, 16. All right, John 3 and 5, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That does not contradict John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those two verses don't contradict one another. 
One says believe, one says be born of water and spirit. There's no contradiction between the two. The only way that you're going to find out how those two work together is taking precept and building it on precept. Taking line and laying it upon line. Getting a little here and a little there and bringing it all together. All right, and, and, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and there are many, 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 many verses that say this same thing. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 13 and 1? This is the third time I'm coming to you. Third time I'm coming to you. Why is that significant, Paul? In the mouth of two or three because witnesses. Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word, shall be, established. Every word be established. This has been a principle of God uh, from the Old Testament forward that there should always be two or three witnesses before anything is firmly established. So that's why we don't just take Acts 16 and 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house, and that's it. You gotta have two or three witnesses to establish any truth. All right? And, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is, this is to me one of the most convincing reasons why we don't baptize saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because there is no second witness for that. I've, I've issued this challenge. When I go to Africa, I, I issue this challenge everywhere I go, every city that I'm in. Uh, in fact, the last time I, I told them, so this is your homework. You go home tonight and you look for it. I want you to find for me just one more witness where people ever use the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in baptism. Just find one more because you've got to have two. And they all agreed with me. Yes, you've got to have two. Now go find me that second one. And I don't care where I've been, anywhere in this world, they've never found a second one because there is no second witness. And yet when I begin to show them what the scripture does say about baptism and how it ought to be performed, I provide for them seven witnesses that what I'm teaching is correct. The more witnesses you get, the more certainly a truth is established. And it is interesting that it would be seven. God's number of completion or perfection. All right? So we, we, I, I'm not getting into all of that today, but, but it's just important that we understand if we're going to, if we're going to build a doctrine, and it's got to be line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, there's got to be two or three witnesses to establish whatever it is we're trying to establish. So the question that was asked in our text in Acts 16 and 30, when the jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, first of all, context. This is the first time that there has been a Christian missionary in Macedonia Philippi. These people are pagans. They're heathens. They don't know anything about the Christian concept of salvation. They don't know anything about the Christian concept of heaven and hell. This man has just watched his entire prison be shaken by an earthquake and every one of his prisoners set free. 
and he's about to commit suicide. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. And he said, what must I do to be saved? This is verse 31. Just go ahead and read the verse for me. Acts 16 and 31. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, you've got to, again, you've got to take this in context. This man was not asking about how to get to heaven. But the apostle Paul wanted to use it as an opportunity to help him understand how to get to heaven. Are you with me? Are you comprehending what I'm telling you? When he asked what must I do to be saved, he was concerned about his own life. As a jailer for the Roman government, the Roman empire, he could be put to death for what has just happened. And he's worried about his life, not his soul. But the apostle Paul took advantage of the opportunity as any good, wise soul winner would. And he turned it. I'm not going to tell you how to save your life, but I will start telling you now how to save your soul. But if you're going to be saved, the first step, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd never heard about all of this. Nobody's ever preached Jesus in Macedonia, Philippi. All right? This is not like you're walking the streets of America talking to people who know about Jesus. This man doesn't know about him. But Paul said, if I'm going to be able to tell you what to do, we're going to have to start with this. You're going to have to believe that Jesus was more than just a man. Now, he might have heard some of the stories he might have heard, uh, you know, some of, some of the, uh, the, the, the rumblings about this man and the miracles that had happened and, and, and even perhaps had heard that there were rumors that the man had risen from the dead, but nobody's preached the gospel in this city before. And so the apostle Paul's taking advantage of this and he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can start there, then I can tell you how to be saved. In fact, look, because he goes on to say, not only will you be saved, but your whole house will be saved. Now, I'm just telling you grammatically, if believing on the Lord Jesus Christ saved that man at the moment he believed, then it also saved his entire family at the moment he believed, whether they believed or not. Grammatically, that's what the sentence says. If you believe, then you and your family are going to be saved. So Paul was not giving him an instantaneous answer. When you believe, you and your family are saved. But if you believe, then it's coming. Salvation's coming. Hallelujah. And that's why as we read in our text that the very next verse, which people a lot of times want to ignore, but the very next verse, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. This is where they preach the gospel, not verse 31. Verse 32 is where they preach the gospel. And I didn't put this in the list, but you got your Bible right there handy. So read verse 32 for me. And, and then let's, let's carry on a little bit here. Verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So here's where he preached the gospel. 
He said, you're going to have to believe. And if you'll believe, salvation's coming. And so he spake to him the word of the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Paul preached, but it does tell us what the response was in verse 33. And he took them the same hour, he took of, the them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, washed their stripes and, was and was baptized. He and all his. He and all his. Straightway. Straightway. So Paul obviously said more to him than just believe. All right. So I'm just, I'm just telling you that most of the time when, when, when people are asked, what must I do to be saved? They will respond, there's only one thing you have to do. There's just one thing, and it's found in Acts 16, 31. You just believe, and when you believe, you're saved, and that's it. What I want to do today is I want to take the next few moments, and I want to show you 15 things in Scripture that the Bible says you've got to have or do to be saved. It's not just believe. Now listen, even apostolics sometimes would say there's three things. But I want to tell you scripturally, I've found at least 15 that the Bible says are absolutely essential for you to be saved. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm not just going to, those of you who know me, you know, I I don't just throw statements out and leave them alone, but I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm going to go through these hopefully fairly quickly um, because the scripture speaks for itself. Uh, Number one, let's look at the first of these 15 things. Number one, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He that cometh to God, what's the next word? Must. Must. Everyone say must. I'm telling you, if the Bible says you must, then there's no exception. If the Bible says you must, then you must. He that cometh to God must do what? You must believe. Number one on this list of things that are required, you've got to have faith. You cannot be saved without faith. Praise God. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I don't want to get too sidetracked in all this because I got a long way to go this morning. But it is interesting. I, I love this about this verse. Many folks miss this. But here's what he said. First of all, you've got to believe that he is. Now, now, do you understand? And there's a lot of ways that you can make application. But do you understand that the Hebrew name for God, what they called him was Jehovah or Yahweh. And what that means is, he is. Now that's third person. When we talk about him, he's Yahweh, he is. When he identified himself, he said, I am. Well, hallelujah. And so the first thing you got to believe, you got to believe that he is. You got to believe he's the I am. That's why Jesus said, except you believe that I am. I know our King James put the word he in there. It's in italics. It wasn't there in the original. Jesus said, except you believe ego I me. That's, that's the Greek. Except you believe that I am. You shall all die in your sins unless you believe that I'm the one that spoke to Moses. 
not his little boy. You got to believe I'm the one that spoke out of that burning bush and sent Moses down there to free the people. Except you believe that I am, you shall all die in your sins. Well, hallelujah. So you got to believe that he is and you've got to believe he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by We faith. are justified by Faith. We have peace with God peace through our Lord God. Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter one verse nine. Receiving the end receiving. Of your faith. Now listen to this: the end of your faith. What is the end of your faith? Even the salvation of your. This soul. is the end of your, not the beginning of your faith. Again, this is where people make the mistake. They think this is it. Faith. That's it. In fact, I've actually heard people say that salvation is faith plus nothing minus nothing. All right, now think about that. It's faith plus nothing minus that. That's what I've had people tell me. In other words, it's just faith, nothing else. You can't add anything to faith. But Peter didn't say this is the beginning of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He said this is the end of it. This is where your faith will take you. Hallelujah. Faith is essential for your salvation. Number two, number two, Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Yet learned he what? Obedience. Jesus Christ, as a man, the Bible says, learned obedience. Everyone say obedience. The number two thing that is essential to your salvation, it's not just what you believe. But you've got to obey what you believe. In fact, the Greek word for faith in most instances is pistos, which means not just a mental assent. It means not just knowing something to be a fact, but it means believing it to the point that you obey it. You follow through with it. You believe it that strongly. If you don't follow through to obedience, you don't really have Bible faith. Here's what Paul said in, in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. In flaming fire, take vengeance on them that know not He's going to take vengeance on them that know not God and, and that, that obey not the gospel. Not of our the Lord gospel. Jesus Christ. Do you see that the Bible says God is going to take vengeance on everyone who does not obey? They don't obey the gospel. So obviously obedience is essential. You're going to be saved and you're going to escape the, the, the vengeance of God. Then you've got to have obedience in your life. Faith, obedience. Number three, Ephesians 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace. You By what? Grace. By what? Grace. What? By grace, you are saved. You are saved. By grace, you are saved. What does Ephesians 2 and 8 tell us? For by grace are you saved For through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. That not of yourselves. It is, the gift, it of is the gift of God. I'm going to tell you the next thing that is essential to your salvation is grace. 
You've got to have grace. You can't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be saved. And I don't care if you believe, and I don't care if you obey. I'm going to tell you the only way any of us are going to be saved is if God will extend his grace to us. No man comes to God unless the Spirit draws him. Right? Let me tell you something, friend. I'm, I'm honored. All the guests that are here, I'm so thankful that you're here. But please understand what I'm about to tell you. I know that you made a choice to come, and I am honored that you made that choice. But I do want you to know this. You couldn't be here today if God's grace had not drawn you here. God's grace was extended to you and gave to you the, 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 uh, the invitation to come. The spirit and the bride say, come. I'm telling you, there's got to be a drawing of the Holy Ghost. There's got to be a measure of grace that is extended to you if you're going to be saved. You've got to have faith. You've got to have obedience. You've got to have grace. Praise God. Now, let's talk about the fourth thing that you must have. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And the times of this the times of this ignorance, God, God now look at this, God winked. That's past tense. In other words, this may be something God used to do, but God doesn't do this anymore. Right? When, when you say you used to do something, that means you stopped doing it. The times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, God's not winking at ignorance. Now, God does what? But now commandeth all men. Now, he's got a command, not a, not a suggestion, not a recommendation. It's a command. And he commands who? All. All men. men. God commands everybody. That's me. That's you. Everybody. God commands everybody. All men everywhere. Everywhere. Well, I'm telling you, Peter nailed it down right here. He nailed it down. There's, there's no squirming out of this. Right. You can't take yourself out of this verse of Scripture. You're in Acts 17 and 30. You're there. I'm there. We're all there. God commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. To repent. Now listen, if God's commanding all men everywhere to repent, then you're going to have to repent to be saved. You cannot neglect or disobey the commands of God and be saved. And God commands you not to accept him as your savior, but he commands you to repent. We taught a whole lesson on repentance, and if you were not here and would like to hear it, you can stop by the sound booth. We'll make sure to get a copy of that for you or uh, direct you to, the, to the, the link on the website where you can download it. Uh, but, but I taught a whole lesson on what repentance is. It's not accepting Christ. And it's not even simply saying, I'm sorry. It's far more involved than just saying, I'm sorry. But for now, suffice it to say, if you're going to be saved, you have to repent. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. He's long suffering, thank not, God. Not willing that he's not perish. willing that any should perish, thank that, God. But that all should but come to repentance. He is willing that all, everyone say all. That all should come to what? Repentance. This is what God wants for your life. God wants you to repent. He wants you to repent. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 13 verse 3. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Unless, now this, this, is, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Now that's, you know, in today's society, that'd be considered hard preaching. But Jesus said this. This is the Riggin Revised Version. Jesus said, repent or perish. Repent or perish. That's your two choices. There's not a third option. There's not a purgatory. There's not an in-between place that you can go to and wait for somebody else to pray you out of there after you die. It doesn't work that way in the scripture. You either repent or you perish. And so repentance is essential for salvation. Number five, Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth. What's the next word? And. And is baptized shall be saved. I've pointed this out before, but it is so important. So many times in reading through the scriptures, we come across some small little word and, and we fail to understand the significance of that small word. And so we just read over it without really paying attention to just how important that word is. Right? So Jesus said... He that believeth, what? And. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Right? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, you know, um, here we got two guys right here on the front row. Let's stand up here, brother. Rome. Andrew, why don't you turn around? Um, let's see. No, you're not the one I want. I want this man right here. Stand up, stand up. I want you to turn around and face the congregation. Turn around and face the congregation. There you go. Now, if I were to say that I am going to give, this is an if. Everyone understands the word if. It's not a promise. If. If I said that I was going to give $100 to every man in this service today that had on a coat and tie. Unzip that a little bit there. There you go. So does he get, to, does he get the prize? Well, he's got on a coat. He's looking around to see if he can find a tie. 
He's got on a coat, but without a tie, because I said a coat and tie, right? All right, so I'm sorry, but you're going home broke. Not any different than how you got here, but you're... So, so he didn't have on a tie, so he doesn't get any money. This man's got on a tie. So does he get the money? Well, he's got on a tie. Why doesn't he get the money? No coat. The two of you just go home and cry together, all right? <laughs> now, look, that conjunction and doesn't mean or. It means you have to have both. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So you believed, but you've not been baptized. Are you saved? No. No, of course not. Because Jesus made it a requirement that you have both. So number five on our list of essentials, it is essential, it is necessary that you be baptized. I should have gotten a bunch of amens when I said that. Huh? I don't know if you're waiting on me to say something else, but let me try that again. Number five on our list of essentials, it is essential that you be baptized. Oh, that sounds so much better, praise God. All right, it is essential that you be baptized. John chapter 3, verse 5, I mentioned a while ago, so let's look at it. Jesus answered, verily, Jesus verily, answered, verily, verily, or I truly, say, truly, I, I tell say you. Unto thee, except a man unless born of water. a man is born of water and of the Spirit, and of the Spirit, cannot he enter cannot into enter the into the. Jesus said, You cannot. Jesus said, you cannot. You cannot. If you're not baptized, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is what the Bible says. Well, praise God. I know that's not common teaching in many churches, many denominations, but it's Bible. This is what, and, and again, I'm giving you at least two witnesses for everything I'm teaching this morning. And Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter three, verse 21. What did Peter say? The like figure. The like figure. Whereunto even, whereunto even, even what? Baptism. Even what? Baptism. Even what? Baptism. Baptism doth also, doth also now. What? Baptism doth also now save us. Baptism is essential for your salvation. It's essential. Praise God. Let's go to Acts 2 now. Now you've got, you've got verse 38 there, but I want you to get in your Bible and uh, let's start with verse 37 so I can show them that verse 38 is the answer to a question much like the one that we started uh, with as our text in Acts chapter 2 verse 37. Read. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter 
and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now look, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that chapter 2 comes before chapter 16. Everybody understands that? Chapter 2 comes before chapter 16. So you want to jump all the way over to chapter 16 and, and pull verse 31 and say this is the plan of salvation. You've skipped over 15 chapters to get there. And you can't do that. Not if you want to be honest in your biblical study. So we got to go to the first place that people are asking how to be saved. And find out what they were told because there's not going to be a contradiction in Scripture. So Acts 16 is not going to contradict Acts 2. Acts 2, first mention, we're given much more detail here than we are in other passages. Acts 2 and, and verse 37, read it again. Now when they heard this, when they, heard this they were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. Said Peter, they said to Peter the and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, men and what, brethren shall what shall we do? Tell us. How to be saved. And the answer was, then Peter, then said, Peter unto said unto them, repent. Well, look at that. There's yet another confirmation that repentance is essential. He said, repent and be baptized. And be baptized. There's that word and again. This is still a part of the answer. What must I do? What shall I do? Tell me how to be saved. You have to repent. And you have to be baptized. Not just some of you. Not just those who want to. Every one of you. Every one of you. Christ. And do it how? In the name of Jesus In the Christ. name of Jesus Christ. And this is where I said earlier that, you know, tradition has... has has said we should baptize saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in response to Matthew 28, 19. I don't have time to get into all of that. Just suffice it to say that, that in order to use Matthew 28, 19 as a baptismal formula, you need at least one more witness. And that second witness does not exist. That does not negate Matthew 28, 19. It doesn't take away the validity of Matthew 28, 19. It just says you're interpreting it wrong. The proper interpretation of Matthew 20, 19, very simple. Jesus said, uh, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Right? Now look, again, I, I do this in Africa. I, I, I do this. And, and I know this is simple. I'm not trying to treat you like a kindergarten class this morning. I just, simplicity just seems to really get the point across. So I happen to know you're, you're a father, right? You're a father. So it's very nice to meet you, brother father. Is, is that valid? Is that? Father is what he is, but it's not who he is. Father is not his name. You're a son, right? Yeah, I'm glad you, you didn't even have to think about that one. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned that really early in our lives. In spite of what the world's trying to do today, we, we don't have any problem figuring out. You know, that's never been a big issue. Uh, calculus and, you know, I mean, there's some things in school that, you know, we had to struggle with. But I never had to struggle with whether I was a son or a daughter. 
It's never been a problem for me. So you're a son. Nice to meet you, brother son. No. That's what he is. It's not who he is. That's not his name. And Jesus said, baptize in the name of the father. So we got to find the name. Have you got your Bible handy? Have you got your sword sharp? It's not in your notes. It's not pre-printed. But I just want to give you a little test this morning and see if you're ready to do this. Go to John chapter 5 for me. Are you there? 5 and 43, what does it say? I am come in my father's Jesus name. said, I am come in my father's name. Jesus said, I came in my father's name. So if he came in the name of Jesus, then what is his father's name? Jesus. That's the name of the father. What, what is, you trying to find it? Matthew 121 is where you need to be. Now don't lose John. We're going, we're going back to John in just a minute. But Matthew 121 is where you need to be next. Amen. Matthew 1 and 21. That's the first book of the New Testament. There you go. All right, found it. Great. He's doing good. He's improving. Matthew 121. And she shall bring forth a she son. Shall bring forth a son and thou shalt, and call, thou shalt call the name of the son Jesus. So the name of the son is Jesus. Now John 14 and 26. But the comforter, which is, the, the, Holy comforter, Ghost, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father, whom the Father will, will send, in send in my name. So what name did the Holy Ghost come in? Jesus. So the name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. So if you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, then you baptize in the name of Jesus. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Now, I've had people say, well, what difference does it make? Well, I want to ask you, if I, if I owned a piece of land and I wanted to give you that land and I signed a contract and I signed it father, son, and husband, is that contract any good? Why not? I am a father. I am a son. I am a husband. Is the contract any good? And you know what's amazing? It works this way in Africa too. Same thing's true over there as it is here. If I just put my titles on that contract, it doesn't do anything. There's got to be a name on it for it to be valid. And you can't just baptize somebody saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's no name on there to make it valid. You got to have the name. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is not in your notes either. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, let's, let's read verses 14 and 15. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom, comma, the, whole, of whom, the, whole of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth, heaven and earth is, named. is named. Do you understand there's only one name? For the whole family in heaven and earth. There's only one name for the whole. Kind of sounds like, kind of sounds like what Peter said in Acts chapter 4. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none 
other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other name. Well, praise God. Amen. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul said, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I'm telling you, Jesus is higher than Father. Jesus is higher than Son. It's higher than Holy Ghost. In fact, Jesus is higher than El Shaddai. It's higher than Elohim. It's higher than Adonai. It's higher than Jehovah. It's higher than wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That name is above every name. This past August, my wife and I celebrated 38 years of marriage. I love her dearly. And I'm going to tell you, 38 years ago, when I proposed to her, Almost 39 years ago now when I proposed to her, had she told me, I love you, I want to marry you, but I will not take your name. I would have said, I love you, I want to marry you, but there will not be a marriage. If you're not going to take the name of the bridegroom, you're not going to be my bride. And I don't understand people who say, I want to be a part of the bride of Christ, but they don't want to take his name. Why would you not want that name? You know, I ask those preachers when I get there, do you believe in praying prayers and God will answer? Yes. When you pray those prayers, do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen? No. So what do you say? We say in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's power in that name. I asked them, do you believe in healing the sick? Yes. Well, when you lay hands on the sick, do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost be healed? No. What do you say? We say in Jesus' name. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. I said, do you believe in casting out devils? Yes. When you cast out devils, do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost come out? No. What do you say? We say in Jesus' name. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And then I just simply ask them, why is it that you pray prayers in Jesus' name? You heal the sick in Jesus' name. You cast out devils in Jesus' name. But when you get to the water, you want to say, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And there's no power in any of that. What Paul said in the book of Colossians, he said, whatsoever you do, not just prayer, not just healing the sick, not just casting out devils, but whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. It's all got to be done in Jesus' name. Well, hallelujah. Oh, help me, Jesus. Lord, I'm only on number five. I got 10 more to go. I didn't want to start another series. I wanted, I thought I'd just come in here and get this done this morning. It's what I get for thinking. Oh, well, I'm telling you, these are the things that are essential. They are essential for you to be saved. 
They're essential for you to be saved. Amen. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, let's go back to Acts 2. We got off of Acts 2. We didn't finish that. There's a reason why he said be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said unto them. Repent, repent and be baptized, and be baptized. every one of you in the, name of, the, name of, of, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the, remission, For the of remission of sins. Here's what Peter said. If you want your sins to be remitted, if you want your sins to be washed away, you can't go down saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The only name that can remit your sins, the only name that can wash away your sins, the only name that can take away your past is that name that's above every name. If you want your sins remitted, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I don't want to start a series, but it looks like I'm going to have to because time's not on my side. Let's, let's throw in one more here. Let's throw in one more, and then maybe next week we'll come back and, and try to finish off these last nine. We only got through six today, but... Uh, Let's, let's see, let's, number, number six, number six, amen, there are 15 things we got to do to be saved, and number one, we got to have faith, number two, we got to have obedience, number three is grace, four is repentance, five is baptism in Jesus' name, number six, Romans chapter eight and verse nine, but ye are not in the flesh, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any, now, man, if have any man have the not Christ, the Spirit of Christ, he, is, he none is none of his. I submit to you this morning that number six on the list of things you have to have. You have to have the Holy Ghost. You've got to have that Spirit dwelling in you. Read verse 11. This is Romans chapter 8 verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. If that spirit. Dwell in you. Dwells in you. He that raised up Then Christ the one the that dead, raised up Christ from the dead. Is going to quicken bodies. or make alive your mortal bodies. By, his spirit by the power of that spirit that's dwelling in you. I'm going to tell you the only way that you're getting up out of the grave on resurrection morning. Is if you die full of the Holy Ghost. You got to have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. That's what resurrects you on the last day. Oh, hallelujah. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. Amen. John 3, verse 5. Let's go back and look at that again. Jesus answered. Jesus answered. Verily, 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 verily or truly, you, truly, I tell you, a man unless a man is born of water and of the spirit cannot he cannot the enter into the kingdom of God I'm telling you the only way we're getting into that kingdom we've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost residing on the inside of us it's not about how good you are it's not about whether grandma was a Christian it's not about any of that in fact, that's another thing I run into in Africa all the time is, well, but so-and-so. And so I don't care about so-and-so. But what about people that are on their deathbed? And You know, my answer to them is this. You've been there. You've heard me. I, I'm not saying this to be mean and ugly and rude. But, but the answer, like, what about people on their deathbed? My answer is this. 
I don't see anybody in this room that's on their deathbed. So would you please quit worrying about them right now and worry about yourself? What about those in prison? None of you are in prison. I'm going to let God sort all that out, all right? I've got answers to those questions. But, but that's not something we need to be worried about right now. What we need to be worried about is what are you going to do? I actually had him ask me one time, what about people in, in, in Iceland where everything's covered by ice and they can't even get in the water? What do you do about those people? I said, you know, last time I checked, you don't have that problem in Africa. I have yet to come on any ice-covered lakes in Africa. And I've been over there a lot. I hadn't counted how many trips, but, but at, at, at least four trips a year for the last uh, four years, that's 16. I, I made at least one extra. Another year is 17, and then two more the year before. So I'm, I'm getting close to 20 trips over there right now. And I'm going to tell you, and I've been in a lot of different countries in Africa, on that continent, I've never yet found a lake that was frozen over. Not one time. So why are you worried about that? That's not a problem for you. That's not, in fact, I saw a little clip the other day where they were baptizing people somewhere, I, I don't know, Siberia or somewhere, where they actually cut a hole in the ice. And I mean, they'd stick them down there. They came up quick. And I'm telling you, they all had stammering lips when they came up too. There wasn't no question about it, but they did it. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, 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 they're. Well, anyhow. It can be done. It can be done. It can be done. Amen. I'm telling you, if, if you want to obey, if you want to obey God's word, God will make a way for it to happen. He'll make a way for it to happen. I've watched him do it. I don't have time today to get into to get into the whole story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I love to use that story when I'm over there because that's an Ethiopian. You know, Ethiopia is in Africa. And, and here's an Ethiopian eunuch. And the Bible says that the Lord spoke uh, to, to Philip and sent him down to the way that goes to Gaza, which is desert. There's no water in a desert. And yet they're riding along studying the scripture. And the Ethiopian looks up and says, here's water. Now, where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. All I know is God saw a hungry heart that wanted to do what God told him to do. And so now all of a sudden in the middle of a desert, there's water. I'm telling you, if you want it, my grandmother was on her deathbed and made a promise to God. If you'll get me up out of here, I'll go home and get baptized in Jesus name and receive the Holy Ghost. And God raised my grandmother up. 77 years old she kept her word came back got baptized in Jesus name received the gift of the Holy Ghost a couple of months later God took her home to glory but I'm telling you if a person wants to be saved if they want to obey God God will make a way so quit using excuses and just do what the scripture tells you to do but that's back on baptism I got to tell you this morning you've got to have the Holy Ghost You've got to have the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then Acts chapter 2. We, I've got to close. I'm out of time. Acts chapter 2. We'll, we'll read it again. Peter didn't just say repent. That was one of the essentials. He didn't just say be baptized in Jesus' name. That was one of the essentials. But he said something else. What else did he say? And, ye shall receive and you shall the receive Holy the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you guys, if you got your Bible, because I think I only gave you verse 38. Did I give you verse 39? If not, we want to read that too. Because I want everybody to understand this wasn't just for those on the day of Pentecost. This wasn't just, some people said, well, it was just for the 12. Oh, no, it wasn't. First of all, there were 120 that were filled in that initial experience. So that kind of outdoes just the 12. In fact, it wasn't just the 12 speaking in tongues. Because there were 16 different nations that are listed there in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says that they all heard someone speaking in their native tongue. How do 12 people speak 16 languages? I'm, again, not a rocket scientist, but I can figure out that can't be done. You got 16 languages being spoken. You're going to have to have at least 16 people. So somewhere, somebody else outside of that 12 got it. But it was really all 120. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. They were all, not just the 12, they were all. But here's what he said. He said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, verse 39. For, the promise for this promise is to you to your children, and to your children to and to all that are afar off, off, even, even as many as, many as the Lord, as our, God the Lord our God shall come. I'm you know, I said a while ago, you're not here just because you decided to come this morning, but you're here because the Spirit drew you here. The Spirit, can I say it this way, called you here. And the Bible says that everybody that God calls has the same promise. God will give you this very same experience called the Holy Ghost if you want it today. If you want it today, God will give you this same experience. Let's stand this morning. Amen. I'll have to come back and try to finish these others at another time. Hallelujah. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, you got to have, you got to have faith. You've got to have obedience. You've got to have God's grace. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you, really, I don't even like using the word got to. We're talking about essentials. That's why I use it. But let me tell you, the real truth of the matter is you get to. You get to. It's the most glorious experience God's ever given to mankind. This is not something you just have to do. It's something God wants you to do. And you ought to want it. Why would you not want something God's given away? Why would you not want something God's handing out? God's not going to hand out anything bad. Oh, I'm afraid of that Holy Ghost. Why are you afraid? God wouldn't give you something bad. Jesus said even carnal men, even evil men, if their children come and say, I would like an egg, they don't give them a serpent. If they say, I want a fish, they don't give them a snake. If they say, I want bread, they don't hand them a rock. And he said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'm telling you, God's not going to give you a snake or a scorpion or a rock. God's not going to give you something bad when you're asking for something good. He wants to give you this glorious gift.
gift called the Holy Ghost, it's going to change you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you talk. It changes everything about you. And it gives you the power to live like God wants you to live. I'm telling you, if you're bound by some addiction today, the power of the Holy Ghost can set you free. You don't have to go through a 12-step program. Well, hallelujah. And I know, I know, I know, I know they, you know, I guess there's some good they're doing and all that. But I've got a real problem with most of them because they teach those people you'll always be an alcoholic. You'll always be a drug addict. You're just recovering from that. I'm going to tell you there is a way you can be recovered and not just recovering. It's called the Holy Ghost. And it didn't take us 12 steps to get here, did it? It only took us six steps to get to this point. We're giving you half off today. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, you can have this glorious gift. It will change you and it'll set you free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Whatever you're bound by, whatever you're addicted to, if you'll let the Spirit of the Lord come in, He'll liberate you from the chains of your bondage. He'll set you free today. These altars are open right now. If you're here without the power of the Holy Ghost, this is your opportunity. Let God give you the Holy Ghost today. Come down and repent of your sins. I'm telling you, God wants to give it to you right now. Help me pray, church. Help me pray, church.